My name's Chris, and happy Easter. Come on, City Light. I'm one of the pastors here, excited to preach and teach the Word of God. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27 and 28. If you've got your Bibles, get them open there. I um, want to just tell you guys why we're so amped up and excited. It's not just uh, a special occasion where we break out our men's warehouse outfits. Um, although, to my disappointment, so many of you guys have paused and stopped me and said, oh, wow, you, you clean up okay. It's like, well, I actually look employed. Thank you for that, really, this morning. Um, it's not just a day we went to Costco and got the special lilies and uh, that we put flowers in here to spice it up a little bit for you guys. Today is the day that we have something to celebrate, amen? Today is the day that isn't just built around a dead historical figure. Jesus Christ is not just a flash in the pan miracle worker. Jesus Christ is not just a religious teacher who comes to give us some new principles and morals to follow. Jesus Christ is not just an example for your kids to imitate. Jesus Christ is the resurrected savior. He's God, he's ruling, he's reigning, he's alive, he's seeking and saving. And this is what we believe about Jesus, that Jesus came, he ascended from heaven to earth and he loved us deeply. He obeyed the Father's law perfectly. He taught powerfully. He healed miraculously. He died sacrificially, and he raised from the grave victoriously. That's Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Listen, guys, we love Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whomever believes in me, though he may die, he will live again. Church, I want you guys to remind you guys of the good news today. Our hope for salvation, our hope for eternal life doesn't begin on an Easter Sunday where we just said, you know, we're going to get dressed up and get serious about church. It doesn't start with us believing or, uh, or behaving better or trying harder or working more uh, good deeds or trying to be more active in our communities. The thing that secures our eternal life, our resurrection life, the power to conquer the grave and live beyond our final breath on this side is our belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a good news as Christians. It's not that we need to give our lives to be a better version of ourselves, but that we have a perfect savior that came and conquered the grave. Death has been defeated. Victory is won by this guy named Jesus Christ. Guys, Jesus is personal to me. I love Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. For years of my life, I grew up coming to church services like this. Mom would drag me along and it was kind of the pregame to eat ham at mom's house, you know? Like, you kind of have to do it if you want the Easter egg hunt later. You understand the game? And so I went kind of bored, twiddled my thumbs. This was before smartphones. Can you imagine an hour with no smartphones? I mean, teenagers are freaking out right now. They're getting shaky just thinking about it. Um, and so uh, mom would drag me. We would sing songs, listen to somebody get excited about Jesus. I would go home and eat. And it was just kind of religious tradition, okay? And maybe that's where some of you guys are at. But it changed for me. And it's changed for so many of you guys because at some point, Jesus became real. 18 years old, convicted of my sin. The spirit of God started showing me some areas that um, I I wasn't okay before a holy and righteous God. And uh, a college kid told me about this Jesus, that he wasn't mad and angry at me, but that he loved and pursued me. And that he came not for um, the healthy, but he came for the spiritually sick. And that Jesus Christ had the ability to forgive sinners. And that Jesus Christ had the ability to make old things new. And that Jesus Christ could make dead things alive. And I trusted in that Jesus, believed in that Jesus, and Jesus Christ has changed my life. Amen? Um, Some of you guys are here today. You've experienced that same resurrection power in your life. You know that he set you free. You know that he's restored your marriage. You know that he's um, impacted your joy. You know that he's given you peace in crazy circumstances. You've experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You felt the shame of your sin and your guilt be washed away by the good news of the gospel. You've experienced the love and the touch that only comes by being in right relationship with God. Amen. I've experienced that. Only one other person here has. I know they're clapping. So hopefully that changes. Jesus helped that change today. Okay. 
Uh, if you haven't yet, my prayer is true today that, that you would experience Jesus Christ as more than just kind of a, a, a religious symbol, more a, than just a, a folklore of um, religious tradition, but that you would see him as he is. Jesus Christ is the son of God. Jesus Christ created you, loved you, and came from heaven to earth to seek and save and die on that cross for your sins so that you wouldn't have to. And he rose from that grave powerfully, victoriously defeating all of our enemies once and for all. That's Jesus. I'm excited to show you guys. We're going to jump in. Matthew chapter 27. If you got your Bibles, get them open. Let's get there. Uh, I want to remind you, if you're maybe new or you're, you're kind of just stepping in today, kind of where we've been as a church Um, we've been walking for the last four months through the the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus's closest disciples, and uh, he had an eye, uh, kind of front row seat to all of Jesus's ministries. So we've been looking at Jesus, uh, the man, uh, his mission, his teachings, his miracles, his works, his claims. We've been walking through verse by verse for the last four months looking at Jesus. And today we're at the climax of the story. Okay, today we're at the climax. Where we're at in the story is that at this point, Jesus has entered in Jerusalem with his disciples. Judas has, one of his disciples has betrayed him for a few pieces of silver, handed him over to uh, kind of the religious leaders who felt threatened by Jesus. They're insecure. Now they falsely accuse Jesus of um, some crimes that he did not commit. And then the Romans ultimately execute Jesus on a cross next to some criminals. And then a, a wealthy man comes and says, hey, you can borrow my tomb, have my tomb. Jesus is buried. Spoiler alert, Jesus doesn't stay dead. Amen? Spoiler alert. That's where we're going. So we're going to jump in and look at the resurrection account. Now, let me nerd out and show you guys something that was kind of new for me as I studied it this week. Obviously, there's the resurrection account that starts in Matthew chapter 28. It's going to be verses 1 through 10. But on both sides of the resurrection account, you're going to find this picture of these religious leaders and these political leaders and these Roman uh, kind of uh, figureheads. And they're trying to figure out how to stop, halt, and put it into Jesus's influence and his ministry, okay? And so there's all this activity. There's secret meetings. There's plans. There's bribes. It's kind of like an Easter scandal, all right? And I want to show you guys this because... Um, I think there's a contrast that gets unlocked when you look at both sides. The meat of the story is Jesus's unstoppable resurrection power that happens at the tomb. But before that are all these men that are frightened by Jesus. They're scamming, they're planning, they're plotting. They're trying to realize, they realize that Jesus is dead. And this is their moment that if they can keep Jesus dead in that grave, all of this whole Jesus is God stuff comes to an end, okay? So that's their strategy and plan. And I just want to contra- uh, kind of compare and contrast a little bit uh, of the power and authority of Jesus Christ and that of mere humans who try to stand in the way of our victorious king. It is a futile effort. So here's the big idea this morning. Jesus' oppo- opposition never stands. His opposition never stands. His resurrection power can't be stopped. Hashtag can't be stopped. Hashtag won't be stopped. Amen. They're like, get the kids. I'm a little nervous. Let's see what they're doing at the other church. Is it too late? Could we get there? Um, You know, I want to show you guys this because unfortunately, I think so many of us have such a small view of Jesus. We see Jesus as the lamb, but sometimes we don't see Jesus as the lion. You see Jesus as the one who will die for you, who loves you, who will pay the price for your sin. But do you understand that our God, our King, he has ultimate authority and power that there is no force on, on, on heaven or, or under earth, under heaven on earth that could hinder the plans and the works and the promises of God, that, that our king is not scared. We try to make Jesus to be this little kitten cat that we put in a cage and we can control. But Jesus Christ is a living lion and he comes in all power and you cannot restrain him. Sometimes we wanna make Jesus small. We like him as savior, but do we like him as authoritative, resurrected, victorious king? I do. 
because it means that he fought and won some battles that I could never fight and win myself. Amen. Let's look at that, Jesus. That's where we're going. I want you guys to see this. The first thing we're going to see is I'm just going to trace this contrast of what these religious leaders are up to. I want to show you guys this in verse 62. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Here's where it says, the next day, this is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And said, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Okay, um, just a couple, couple applications or uh, observations here. Number one, the religious leaders still not a part of the Jesus fan club, okay? Uh, haven't bought the t-shirts, haven't got the foam finger that says I'm on team Jesus yet. If you notice, they're still calling him a name. He's the imposter or other translations say deceiver. Why do they call him a deceiver? They think that he has deceived people to thinking that he's God when he's really not God. Remember the religious leaders think he's a phony, he's a fake, he's a pretender, that he's not the real deal. And the reason that um, they don't like Jesus is not because he was kind to people. It wasn't that he fed the hungry or healed the sick, they don't have any problem with Jesus's miracles. They have a lot of problems with Jesus's words, with his claims that he really was the son of God. They thought this was blasphemy. So to these religious leaders, Jesus is not the son of God. And so they uh, are calling him a deceiver. Additionally, you're gonna notice one thing that's interesting, that they actually remembered what Jesus had to say. Isn't that it? The disciples, where are they? They're hiding in Jerusalem under a table. They're so fearful of the Roman authorities and they're fearful of persecution. They saw what the Roman authorities did to Jesus. They're thinking, if they find us, what will they do to us? But guess what? They've forgotten the promise that Jesus Christ said, I will raise from the grave on the third day. He said it, he's gonna do it, and he did it. But guess what? The disciples have completely forgot that teaching of Jesus. And unfortunately, the religious leaders are the only ones that remember this, okay? Now they're paranoid. Now they're trying to come up with a plan. How are we gonna stop the resurrection of this Jesus from happening? Here's what they request. Here's the strategy they come up with. Look at verse 64 through 65. Therefore, he's talking to Pilate, the Roman authorities. This is what they request. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go, steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by doing two things. Look at this. They sealed it with a stone and then setting a guard, okay? So a couple things. First, I want you guys to know the religious leaders actually don't have confidence that Jesus will do what he says he will do. They don't believe that Jesus Christ can conquer death. They don't believe that Jesus Christ will be victorious over the grave. They don't think Jesus Christ could promise and predict his own resurrection and then pull it off. They're mostly worried about a ragtag group of disciples um, that suddenly overnight are gonna become like some Navy SEALs and like swoop in, steal a dead body, prop him up, make him alive and parade him around town and say, see, he's risen. Like, That's what they're paranoid about. Just a little backdrop on this. The disciples at this time, it's not really their strong suit. This is not the strongest chapter, okay, of their lives. Um, One of them has betrayed Jesus. The other one's denied Jesus. Most of them are uneducated, uh, kind of very common men. One of them is a forgiven tax collector. These guys are not fighters, okay? Uh, Peter one time tried to take a swing at a guard, cut his ear off. Who aims at the ear, Okay. That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not a power shot, okay? Um, that's a glance off the eardrum. That's just not winning. Jesus had to undo it and heal it, okay? So these guys are not warriors. They're not Navy SEALs. They couldn't pull this off. They're worried about this. And if you think about it, um, what all that the, uh, the Jewish leaders had to do, all the religious leaders had to do, all that uh, Rome had to do to silence the claims of Jesus Christ here, to put an end to this is Jesus God stuff, 
to put an end to Jesus's name and renown and reputation, all they had to do is for three days guard one tomb with one dead man in it. If they could do that, the disciples would be dispersed. No one would be talking about Jesus. He would be just one more name in the history books. My friends, no one would have prayed prayers about Jesus. Nobody would have started churches for Jesus. Nobody would have advanced the name of Jesus. Nobody would have modeled their life after Jesus. Nobody would have written songs about Jesus. But my friends, nothing could hold back the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, they can put guards there all they want. They can seal it. They can uh, try to take precautionary measures to prevent it. But Jesus was going, to, um, he was going to advance his kingdom. He was going to purchase salvation for his people. And that's what happens. Now, I want to skip down to the second part of this story where these religious leaders, um, what is their response after the resurrection? Okay, they've, they've done all this planning, all this strategizing. They put all the pieces in place. How do they respond when they actually get news of the resurrection? Look at verse chapter 28, verse 11. Here's what it says. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the priests all that had taken place. Let me pause right there, even after verse 11. Um, Remember what happened at this point. I'm going to show you guys in detail later. At this point, um, remember the stone that was just rolled there to seal? Um, At that point, it's been rolled away by this angel of the Lord. There was an earthquake. And these mighty strong soldiers, they literally dropped to the ground. The scripture said they became like dead men. They were panicked, fearful, struck in, in panic, and they're laying on the ground. And can you imagine how embarrassing this is? You get paid to be tough. You get paid to defend things to fight people. And you got on like the most easy assignment in the history of the world. Go hang out at a tomb and make sure a dead guy stays dead. Like I'm not even a fighter. I feel real good about those chances, you know? Now imagine having to walk back in town and say, I got to talk to you about something. Uh, so that guy that said he was dead, but he's not dead. And the, there was this, the tomb and it was closed, but now it's open. And he, he, I think he did what he said he was going to do. Uh, I think that's what happened. (laughs) Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? How humbling that would be? That would not, that's hashtag failing. Like, um, I don't know if they're expecting to get paid, but watch what happens here, okay? Verse 12, this is amazing. Uh, Here's their response. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sums of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread about among the Jews to this day. Guys, if you babysit my kids and I come home and my kids aren't there, you don't get paid. Like the whole responsibility of the thing is you are paid to keep them alive. Amen. Like this is the best job in the history of the world. They literally said, here's some money. Make sure the disciples don't take the body of Jesus. They come back and say, we can't, Jesus is gone. Here's some more money. Tell everybody that the disciples took Jesus's body. They're winning on both ends of this deal, guys. This is amazing. Okay, I hope you see the hypocrisy here though. Remember what these guys called Jesus? They called him an imposter or a deceiver or a liar. Now what are these men doing? They're lying. They're paying other people off to spread a rumor that is not true, to cover their bases, to stomp out the name and fame of Jesus Christ, to try to get ahead of the narrative. That's where these men are. This is what weird religious games will make you do. These guys have a hard heart, blind eyes. They're far from God. And yet now all of a sudden they're so, they can't see the evidence that Jesus Christ is King, Lord, Christ, and Savior. 
They're so blind to that reality. They're just trying to react to all of the changing circumstances around them. I hope you guys see the irony here. And I wanted to demonstrate this, not to just give you guys some insights about Easter, but I wanted you guys to see this, is that you can oppose Jesus, deny Jesus. You can reject Jesus. You can be skeptical of Jesus. You can be indifferent towards Jesus, but there is no stopping Jesus Christ. There is no stopping him. Jesus was tempted by the devil. He was opposed by the religious leaders. He was mocked by the crowds. He was crucified by the Romans. He was guarded by elite soldiers. And still on the third day, Jesus Christ rose up from his grave victoriously. And Jesus, even after this, all of the religious leaders, all of the political leaders, they are buying people. They're leveraging their resources. They're working the relational networks. They're trying to flex on Jesus. And it didn't make a difference Jesus Christ appeared to his disciples in more than 500. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes about this. He says, this resurrected Jesus. He appeared to 500 over 40 days, many whom were still alive. If you don't believe me, go ask one of them. That's what he says. This Jesus validated his claims that he is savior God in Christ by rising from the grave and appearing to his followers. And guys, if you need evidence, there's so much evidence on this. One, how do you explain these cowards of disciples moving from cowards to courageous men who will boldly die for Jesus Christ? You don't die for a liar. You die for a man who conquered death because you have confidence he's got your back, amen? Now, uh, how do you explain that even right now, there's countries that have made Christianity illegal. They have outlawed the Bible. They've tried to take away the church. They've, they've tried to silence the name of Jesus Christ. And I wanna tell you guys, all around the world, in every continent, in every kind of corner, in every tribe, tongue, and nation, there are over 2.2 billion people around this world still worshiping Jesus Christ because they've experienced his resurrection power, because they know he rose from the graves, because they know he came to forgive sins. Jesus is alive. He changed my life. He's still building his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. You wanna know what he's doing right now? He's calling people from death to life. He's calling sinners into forgiveness. You wanna know what he's doing? He's building his name fame and he's ultimately being worshiped because he's seated at the right hand of the father because he accomplished everything he came to do in the gospel of this, uh, in the gospel of Christmas and Easter. And Christmas and Easter, they're both good too. They're both. But today is Easter. We have the flowers for Easter. We don't do flowers as much for Christmas. Anyways, I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, guys, Paul writes this. He says that um, if, if Christ didn't raise from the grave, we are to be pitied. What that means is we're fools. And if you really think about it, I love that this is in the Bible because it's so true. Guys, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we're worshiping a dead man. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we have no hope for eternal life. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then you are still stuck underneath the wrath of God. But the great news is that Jesus Christ did rise from the grave, amen? And that because of that, we can have confidence in eternal life. We can have the power of his resurrection now. We can have the forgiveness of sins and the confidence that God's ways cannot be stopped. Guys, we live in a world, I just want you to know as a church, there's always gonna be another election. There's always gonna be another law. There's always gonna be another cultural blog. There's always gonna be another shift in our society. And I think as Christians, the temptation for us to think is we're, we're one decision away, one leader away, one vote away from Christianity just being something in the history books. Jesus Christ will not go away. His word will not fade. His ways will not be hindered. Yes, will there be opposition? Don't be surprised by the college professor, by the hater, by the blog, by the person taking shots at Jesus. But I can tell you right now who wins the war in the end, Jesus Christ. He's victorious. He won over the grave. He won over death. He defeated Satan, sin, and death. And he's gonna come back victorious, amen? Jesus is going to win. Haters are gonna hate, but no opposition will stand against King Jesus. And that's one of the things we learn at the resurrection. Now I wanna show you guys what exactly happens at the resurrection. So join me, Matthew chapter 28, verse one. We're gonna start there. Now after the Sabbath... 
Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Let me pause here. One of the things that hit me this week in a personal way, this is not the primary thrust of this passage, but the kind of people that go to mourn King Jesus are the kind of people who have been forgiven by King Jesus. Mary Magdalene is there. And if you know anything about Mary Magdalene, she was once possessed by a whole bunch of demons. She was an outsider. She probably had seen some dark things, had some really messy parts of her life. And yet Jesus, everybody else would have probably moved away from this kind of a woman. Um, She was marginalized, scandalous, outcast. And yet Jesus Christ moved towards her, heals her, restores her, and casts out the demons. This is a beautiful picture of our God. If you've ever thought you're so broken, so messy, you're such a disappointment, so dirty that God is going to just kind of back away from you, you just need to understand the God that I worship. His name is Jesus Christ, and he moves towards the broken and the messy. Amen? There's room in the kingdom of God for people like me and for people like you. Additionally, I want you guys to see the setting here. The setting is not a fairy tale. You know, fairy tales start with once upon a time in a far and distant land. That's how fairy tales start. I read them every night to my little girl. I try to sound out the words most of the time, and sometimes I get Easter and Christmas mixed up. Um, Anyways, so thankful that you continue to pay me, even though I mess up the two major holidays of our faith. Um, So (laughs) my wife really appreciates it for sure. Um, But I think about this, and what I love about this is the Bible actually makes a historical claim here. He says there's a real time. Okay, it's Sunday morning, early in the morning. All the early morning people said yes and amen. All the late afternoon people said, that's not a time that I would ever wake up to worship Jesus. Um, Additionally, there's real people. There's two Marys here, right? It's a Sunday morning. It's early. There's two Marys. Where's it at? It's got a real location. Jesus's tomb that was given by a guy named Joseph who donated it to him. Okay, so there's a time, there's a place, there's a people. And this is written by Matthew and it would have been circulated as if to say, if you don't believe the resurrection really happened, go find the Marys. Go ask them what happened to the tomb. Get the story because they'll tell you about what happened. And some of you guys want to dismiss the resurrection here because you think it's just a story that was made up by the church to appease the religious masses. It's not. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gave birth to the church. The church didn't give birth to the idea of the resurrection, okay? And this is, you can try to write this off as metaphor or example or story, but it's a literal physical resurrection that happened by Jesus Christ. He would invite you to look at some of the evidence. I want to show you guys verses two and beyond. Here's what he says. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men because the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to the Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you a couple things. Number one, would you notice the reversal of power? The strong are now in a position of weakness and the dead man is now in a place of alive and power and victory, amen? The guards are on the floor. Jesus is alive. There's been a massive reversal of power, order, and uh, kind of a reverse happening here. Number two, I hope you see the irony of all of that. But additionally, I love that there's really good news. The angel of the Lord says, hey, I want to make an announcement to you, ladies. I know you came to kind of be a part of a funeral service, but Jesus has canceled the funeral today. 
Funeral, canceled. Sorry, gonna have to reschedule that. Never gonna happen, okay? So Jesus is alive. Why are you looking for the crucified Jesus? You should be looking for the resurrected Jesus. And this should not be a surprise to these women because I told you guys three times just in the gospel of Matthew, he explicitly told the disciples and his followers, this is what's gonna happen. Right before he entered Jerusalem, he pulled them aside and he said, guys, I just wanna give you a heads up what's gonna happen here. I'm gonna get arrested. I'm gonna be put on trial. I'm gonna get mocked. I'm gonna get beaten. I'm gonna get executed. I will be buried in a real tomb and I will raise on the third day. That's what he said. Even the religious leaders remember this because they asked him, Jesus, would you give us a sign? You know what he said? I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. And some of you guys are like, ah, Jonah, where's that? It's in your Old Testament. Let me tell you the story real quickly. Jonah was swallowed up by a whale and for three days lived in the belly of the well. And, but then he walked out and he was spit out and he came and emerged from that place. And he's saying, you want to see a sign? I'm going to do the same thing that Jonah did. For three days, I will be in the depths. I will be in darkness. But on the third day, I will rise again. He says, you remember that temple that you love and you adore and that place that you go where people will worship and interact with God? I'll destroy it in three days and I'll rebuild it. What did he mean? He wasn't trying to tear down buildings. What he was doing is saying, I will recreate a place of worship and the personal work of Jesus Christ. You will become the new temple. You will be the place where God and, uh, and man meet. It will happen in your heart. Jesus will build that in three days. You can rip it down. You can tear it down. You can try to destroy something. I will rebuild it in three days. Jesus made promises that this would actually happen. Again, I want to show you one more last observation here. Look at the invitation that Jesus gives in verse six. He says, come and see to his, these women. What I love about this is I want you to notice that the stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let Mary come in. Jesus was already gone when the tombstone was rolled away. Jesus would later walk through walls to get to the disciples because they literally locked the door. He couldn't get in. He didn't need let out of the tomb. He wanted to let the witnesses get in. So the women had an invitation to come into the tomb and evaluate the evidence that was at hand. The tomb had been sealed, it was guarded, and yet it's found empty. Jesus said, come and look in, come and see, come and look for yourselves. That's what the angel of the Lord is saying. Let me show you guys verse eight through 10. Last two verses I wanna show you guys today. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see them. Number one, I absolutely love, who are the very first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? These two amazing women. These two women that have probably cried at the foot of the cross when they saw their friend, Jesus Christ, get crucified that was there at his burial, that were there on a Sunday morning early before anybody else to mourn him, Jesus honored their faith. And in some ways, I think this is incredibly unstrategic because if I was Jesus, you know who I would go to? I would go to all the religious leaders and say, how you like me now? You know, you come at me? Yeah, so I started at the bottom, now we're here. I mean, I'll probably start dropping some lyrics on him, okay? Um, it's probably why I'm not Jesus, okay? If you've ever wondered, why are you not Jesus? Well, there's some stuff in you that's not like him. Um, and so I, I love that. And, and really what's happening here is Jesus, if you think about this context, this would have been kind of scandalous because women, um, we live in a different culture now, obviously, um, but Jesus never had this wrong. He always had this right. He always valued women. Um, and at this time in this culture, women couldn't own property. There were certain things they couldn't do, couldn't be a part of. And yet Jesus says, I will not go past you. I see you. I will move towards the marginalized. And this is a beautiful posture of our Jesus. Again, Shirley, um, I love their response, church. Can we just learn from their response? I, I was thinking about this. One of the first things they do is when they see the resurrected Jesus, 
There's not this cold-hearted kind of response to God. There's this overflow of emotion and love that the God who loved them, the man who's prayed for them, the person who's cared deeply for them and invested in them, he's alive. And they are overwhelmed in worship and in joy. And sometimes I just think about the Christian faith and sometimes it's just all right here. We want to evaluate all the evidence. We want to ask all the questions. We want to learn all the theories. We want to do all the studies. We study in Greek and parsing out commas and all that's great. And I'm super grateful for that. I love the word of God and you don't have to shut off your brain. But sometimes I just wonder, like, are you bored with the gospel of Jesus Christ? When was the last time we legitimately just said, I want to worship this God that has saved me from my sin. I want to worship this God who has promised me eternal life. I want to put myself prostrate before the Lord. And I just say, God, I got nothing to offer you, but you are alive. You conquered death. You are victorious. You are my king. You have provided. You have been near. You have sustained. I de- I, you deserve all of the glory and the fame. I've done nothing but make a mess of it. But God, glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would we as a church sing here in just a minute? I hope that we would sing and worship and get a little excited about this Jesus. Last thing is I just want to ask the question, where are the disciples in this whole thing? And we've read probably about 15, 16, 17 verses. Where are the disciples? You guys, I told you guys where they are. They're in the upper room hiding in fear. And in so many ways, I'm disappointed in the disciples. Can I just keep it real? Like, where are these guys? Like when Jesus needed them most, they're kind of living as cowards. And you would think they, Jesus invested in them, chose them, protected them, prayed for them. How does Jesus feel about the fact that Peter denied him? How does Jesus feel that all these guys that said, we down with you are all of a sudden hiding? Like, how does Jesus feel? Look at exactly how he confronts him. He goes and tells these women to say, go and find my brothers and go and tell them that they will see me. And I love this because Jesus doesn't call them his disciples. He doesn't call them cowards. He doesn't call them his students. He doesn't call them just people who study from him. He says, these are my brothers. And you guys know how gracious that is? That is Jesus saying, in the gospel, I've died on the cross for your sins and I've made you a part of my redeemed family. Jesus has already forgiven these people. Jesus is ready to show them grace. Jesus is going to pursue them even when they're afraid in paralyzed position, amen? This is an amazing invitation that Jesus holds out, not just for the disciples, but for me and you. Let me close with this, let me close with this. I see in this text really three responses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first one is modeled to us by the religious leaders. The first response you can have to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is you can deny it. Um, the religious leaders were overcome with evidence. They heard Jesus's words. They saw his miraculous works. They heard the testimony of the guards who uh, were there. Um, and yet they still persisted in their unbelief. And maybe you're here today. And honestly, you're just kind of, you're saying, this is cool for you, but it's just not for me. Um, I'm just here because grandma invited me and I, I gotta come. I'm not getting brunch unless I show up, okay? Like, I don't know where you're at today. You can consistently persist in your unbelief and say no to Jesus, no to his forgiveness, no to his resurrection and life. You can resist him. I wanna let you guys know that won't stop Jesus Christ from building his church. He is unstoppable. Jesus will build a people for himself that have been redeemed from Satan, sin, and death to honor, praise, and worship and give him glory. Jesus will advance his kingdom. And by the way, Jesus Christ can't stop. Nobody can stop the work that Jesus wants to do in your life. Amen? And so you could do, number one, you could deny Jesus. But let me just implore you, if you're here today, to consider the last two options. Option two is that you would come and see. Jesus gives this invitation to come and see. And I love that. Do you guys know that he doesn't just ask you to turn off your brains? He doesn't ask you to turn off your senses, to not evaluate the evidence. He says, would you come and see? Come see the tomb for yourself. Come look at the empty tomb. Come evaluate what must have happened. Come look at the guards. What, what happened in this place? 
And I love that scripture holds out this invitation that Jesus says, if you will seek me, you will find me. Guys, is that not true? Have you not searched if Jesus Christ is real? And how many of us would say, it wasn't because we all figured it out, but God just give us divine revelation that he is who he says he is. That's my story. And I just want to encourage you to come and see. Would you commit yourself to investigating the personal work of Jesus Christ? Come back here and read the word of God. Ask it hard questions. The Bible is not afraid of your doubts or your skepticism or your questions. And neither are we as a church. I love that at City Light Church, we, we strive to be a place where you can belong before you believe. Um, you might not believe everything I believe, and that's okay. There's room for you at the table. I wanna invite you to ask questions and press in, but I am also confident that if you do, Jesus Christ will be faithful to reveal himself to you. Third thing is I wanna invite you to just worship with joy like these women, amen? What a beautiful spot. I, I wanna worship with fresh passion for God today. And some of us have heard this, what, year after year after year after year? And uh, I remember hearing it the first time as a college kid, like, Jesus beat Satan, sin, and death? Are you kidding me? Who robs the grave? Who cancels their own funeral? Wait, when I die, I get to live again? Come on, wait a sec, this is good news. And I freaked out. I was leading people to Christ all over the campus. Also getting warrants for my arrest. People harassing me. Anyways, uh, got a little zealous. Had to transfer schools. Anyways, no, um, but, but I was so excited about it. And then this year, you know, comes and it's another year and we just had another baby and you're kind of just, where are we? You know, I'm trying to find a latte to stay awake. And, and yet guys, it's still good news. Jesus Christ loved you enough that he stepped off his throne in heaven. He came into time and space. He put on flesh. And Jesus Christ was so powerful. He resists sin's, sins, temptation from the devil. He loved God's people fully. He obeyed the father perfectly. And this Jesus Christ came and he took on that cross so that we wouldn't have to. Think about the love that would compel somebody to suffer like that for me and you, the most undeserving of people. And then I love that Jesus Christ is not just this lovely little lamb that said, I'll die for you, but he's this victorious king that rose from the grave for you. Ensuring that you and you breathe your last breath, it is not the end of your story, but just a transition to a greater intimacy with Jesus Christ, amen? You have life beyond the grave. And so I just want us to be a people that we would worship with joy. If this is, you've made that decision to follow Jesus this week, would you remind yourself, I've got good news. Don't be depressed. Don't be so upset. Don't take everything so seriously. Guess what? If you drink water, eat organic and eat vitamins, let me just give you a little heads up. You're gonna die. You might die with organic chicken in your stomach, but you're gonna die. And, and the great news is death is not the end for us, amen? We've got a resurrected savior. And I want to look you in the eyes and I think the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just teach us how to die, but it teaches us how to live. Would you walk in resurrection power this week? Amen. And if you're not yet a Christian, you can receive him right now. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, I want to say thank you that you have sought and saved us. Jesus Christ, thank you for stepping out of heaven and coming and stepping into time and space that you came with one purpose, to seek and save the lost. You came to die that we might live eternally. Jesus, you are risen and I know where you are. You're at the right hand of the Father, seated down, and you've accomplished all of your work, and all the angels are worshiping you, saying, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You are both the Lamb and the Lion that is victorious over devil, and death, and the grave, and Jesus, we will stand one day with you on the other side of eternity, and we will worship you, and God will experience great joy and life and freedom and you've given us a little taste on this side 
And I pray that your church would still walk in resurrection power, that you would continue to advance your purposes and your plans, that you would can never let any haters hinder your work in our lives. So Jesus Christ, continue to be a God of victory. We wait in anticipation for that final day when you will come back and win all battles and undo all evil. Jesus, we wait. So God, we, even now, if you're not yet a Christian, want to hold out that invitation. If you're in this room today and you've heard this reality and you say, I don't longer want to stiff arm God. I no longer want to be a spectator to a religious event. I want to be in a right relationship with a living savior named Jesus Christ. I long for his joy and his peace. I long for his power to be at work in me. I've come to realize he is the son of God. He's the savior of the world. Would you say yes to him today? And would you pray the simple prayer? Jesus, I've sinned and I'll receive you as savior and Lord. Come and bring your resurrection power in my life. Change me and transform me from the inside out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen.